So again, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. If this is your first time here, I apologize. (laughs) You're stuck with me today. Uh, But on a serious note, I'm very humbled to be standing in front of you today to, uh, to share the word of God with you. When I look out in the crowd, I see a variety of familiar faces, people who have been really instrumental to me in my walk with Christ, have been there the whole way, just guiding me along and coaching me. So it really is a genuine pleasure and joy to be able to share the word with you this morning. So currently I'm in a mentoring class with Pastor Tim and Pastor Matt. And in that mentoring class, we're studying a variety of different preachers, preaching styles. Uh, and today I'm going to go ahead and cover two of those as an opening. And uh, the first one is called exergesis. That's right, exergesis. And that means to lead out of, literally. Um, it's, it's based on an analysis, an, an in-depth review or study of the Word of God where you're pulling out what God is trying to tell you. The conflicting or other style that I'm going to talk about today is eisegesis. And eisegesis literally means to lead into or is, let's just say, subject to opinion or ideas from the individual or pastor or preacher, whoever is giving the message. So as many of you know, because I think this has been mentioned before, eisegesis is not how we roll at Cornerstone. We are all about exergesis. So I'm going to ask that please you would open up the Bible in front of you, the Bible that you've brought with you, uh, your tablet, your phone, whatever it may be, and follow along. Uh, We're in Proverbs chapter 4. As many of you know, we're going through a series in Proverbs right now as a congregation. And today we're going to be focusing our attention specifically on verses 10 through 19 within chapter 4. So go ahead and take a look at those, examine the words for yourself, uh, and hold it up against what I'm saying here today. So I grew up in Lower Nazareth Township, which is right down the street, not too far. And I lived, when I was a kid, near a place called the Lower Nazareth Rod and Gun Club. May ring a bell. It's, a, it's kind of a staple in those in that part of town here. Uh, but behind the Rod and Gun Club is a set of railroad tracks that runs throughout Lower Nazareth. I used to hear the train a lot when I was a kid trying to sleep. Well, my friend Matt Dugan and I, we would ride our bikes down to the train tracks. We would hang out down there because there's also a creek that ran by the train tracks. And we would take turns. One of us would jump up on the track, on the rail, and we would walk on the rail for as long as we could until we fell off. And then the other one would go and jump up on the rail, and he'd walk on the rail until he fell off to see who could stay walking on that rail longer. You see, the journey of life, especially for Christians, it's, it's not too different than that. You see, before we were born, before the stars were placed in the sky, God mapped out a plan for us. He mapped it all out. And the day that you were saved, the day that you were sealed in the Holy Spirit, He placed you on a specific path. The path of light. So in Psalms 37.23, it says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. However, just as easy as it was for me and Matt Dugan to fall off of those railroad tracks... Is how easy it is for us Christians to fall off the path that God set for us. And let me add, the path that God has set out for us is the best path. It's where we want to be. It's filled with immeasurable joy and pleasure and goodness. You see, I'd ask that you really give me your attention here because this is the theme of the sermon. This is the main point. This is what I'd, I'd ask that you take away leaving to, to, today that you would take this away with you. 
And it's what Paul says in Philippians, and it's, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, once the Lord places you on his path, even if you may fall off, he will always bring you to the finish line successfully. He will always bring you to that journey, to the end of that, that path where he wants you. You know, there's an old Western African proverb, and it goes like this. The man who tries to walk two paths will split his pants. <laughs> and my goal here is for none of you to leave today with split pants. So it's very important that we understand, first, what path are we walking on? What does it look like? Secondly, what can, what, 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 why should we walk on a certain path? What does it matter? What is the outcome? What is the consequence? Because in this situation, the consequences are grave. They're serious. It's a matter of life and death. And then lastly, if I'm on the wrong path, why should I switch to the right one? I mean, what's in it for me? So let's take a close look at the path of light. Let's inspect that one first. That's the one that we want to be on. So let's take a look at it. The first point in today's outline is walking in the path of light means accepting the truths of Scripture. Solomon opens up in verse 10. Let's take a look at how he's positioning it here. He's opening up with pleading with his son, as you see frequently, to please, son, accept my instruction. He specifically says, hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. You see, these sayings, they're not so critically important because they're, they're Solomon's sayings. They're not his own words or his experiences. He's basing this instruction, this teaching, on the inerrant, or in other words, without error, word of God's scripture. See, the wisdom that comes from the word of God brings about the fear of the Lord. And this is the main theme that we're seeing throughout Proverbs. It's what we saw in chapter 1 when we opened up the book of Proverbs. Solomon is saying, son, it is my job to teach you these truths. But it's your job to accept them. So, so it is today. We can sit in the pews at church. We can hear the word of God. And we can take it in as nothing more than a fleeting thought. Oh, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, that makes sense. We could go home then and cut our grass, do our laundry, whatever. But this can't be the case. In Proverbs 7, 2, 3, it says, Keep my commandments and live. My teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. So again, in order to even start down the right direction, in order to even start down the right path, it starts with accepting the truths of Scripture. Solomon then goes on to explain, Son, what I'm instructing you is not without cause. I'm telling you this for a reason. I'm telling you this with a purpose. If you want to experience the true fullness of life, if you want to experience more than what this world has offered, if you want to truly see your purpose and fulfill your purpose and your meaning and have joy, you must accept these truths. Not to mention, it will likely add years to your life. You see, in the Old Testament, in that time frame, 
capital punishment was a normal practice. You make a big mistake, there's a big consequence. And Solomon did not want to see his son lose his life prematurely. No father wants to see their son or mother wants to see their son lose their life prematurely. But yet today we have over 12 million people per year who lose their lives prematurely due to things that they could have avoided. Whether it be drinking and driving, smoking tobacco, overeating. We're not even getting into the topics of why people have capital punishment as a consequence today, like murder and so on and so forth. It's millions more. So we now know that we must actively accept the truth of Scripture in our hearts. So we're ready for the next step. The next step is point two in the outline, which is walking in the path of light means applying the truth of Scripture. So let's turn our attention back to the verse. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. So here Solomon uses a very specific word. He uses the word led you in upright paths. And this word led in the Hebrew translates to something along the lines of trampled down a path with his feet or blazed a trail, so to speak. He's saying, son, I've been the type of leader who leads by example for you. I'm not telling you go read your Bible and then not reading it myself. I'm reading the Bible with you. Day after day, night after night, because I love you. I've applied this instruction to my own life. I'm asking you to please see this, accept this, apply it to yours, and live in the path of light so that you may glorify God, which is your purpose. Chapter verse 12 says, When you walk, your step will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. There's a very effective discipling method that I've recently learned in this mentoring class that I'm in with Pastor Tim and Pastor Matt, which I'd like to share with you today. Uh, It's going to be up on the screen here behind me. There it is. And for me, the first time I heard it, it didn't stick as the second and the third, so hopefully the visual aid will help. But I find this to be an extremely useful method of discipling or learning or, or getting something down that you didn't have down before. And I must add that I think Solomon probably knew this. Being as wise as he was. Or he knew something like it. So let's go ahead and walk through it together. I do. You watch. We talk about it. I do. You help. We talk about it. You do. I help. We talk about it. You do. I watch. We talk about it. You do, someone else watches, you talk about it. I know, it's pretty tricky. You'll have to see that one a couple times. You see, Solomon is doing with his son here what we should all be thinking about. And there's everybody in this room can take something away from this, whether you're a father, a mother, a coach, a boss, a player, a teammate. He's saying... Now that you have seen what I do and I've done it with you, and we've, we've replicated that process together, you should be able to successfully navigate the journey of life. Or you should be able to successfully navigate your classroom. Or you should be able to successfully navigate your workspace or your locker room or whatever it may be for you. I'm sure there's pretty much nobody in this room who hasn't learned something by doing it. 
my opinion, it's one of the best ways to learn. You try it out, you figure it out, you do it, you remember it. Whether it's learn how to drive a car, change the oil, go hunting, maybe play the guitar. And you know, conversely to that, I'm sure there's a lot of us who don't know how to do something because we were never willing to do it. We allowed somebody to do it for us. And now as young adults, as, as adults, we lack that same skill. It's not a surprise. So again, walking in the path, or excuse me. So Solomon is saying here that, son, life will also not be easy in verse 12. He's saying, there's going to be times in life, son, that there's going to be expansion and contraction. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. He's emphasizing that whether you're in the midst of a calm period with the words, when you walk, or if you're in a time in life when everything seems hectic, things are moving fast, you're struggling to get it under control, you're going through an adversity, times are tough, if you run, either way, Either way, if you're accepting and applying the truth of Scripture and the Word of God in your life, you're going to have security and you're going to have stability. So here we go. Now, walking in the path of light means applying the truth of Scripture. So, does this mean that we have to get out of our comfort zones? Does this mean that we need to be in the streets preaching every single day? What does, what does this mean? What it means is what we learned in Jude Jude 6, is that God has placed us all specifically, Jude 6, that's the second time I've done that, in the book of Jude, there is no Jude 6. Okay, God has has placed us all specifically in our own agon, in our own workplace, where we've got to fight and contend for the word of God. Whether it's in school or at work or wherever we may be, we've got to fight and contend. So that brings us to the next point which is walking in the path of light means guarding the truths of Scripture. Verse 13 says, Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Wow. That's pretty serious. She is your life. Solomon is telling his son, once you accept the truth of Scripture and you begin to apply the truth of Scripture and stand firm in your beliefs, You must guard your heart because from it flow the springs of life. And even more importantly, be prepared. Be prepared because the attacks from the enemy, they're coming. The word guard is is very similar in the Hebrew to the word keep, which means do not slack, don't forget. Or Solomon simply said, hold on and do not let go. Solomon knew how important this was because he himself, like myself, like you, had fallen off the track before. Solomon had problems with sin, as we all do. He had problems with sexual sin and and multiple wives and concubines. And he did not want to see his son make the same mistake that he did. But the real key to this verse is in the second half. So let me turn your attention there. What does he mean by... She is your life. Friends, this is my favorite part of the message today. Because Solomon is showing his son what we'll later learn in John, in the New Testament. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Therefore, he's saying, son, you must keep the word of God in your heart because it brings about wisdom through the fear of the fear of the Lord. And ultimately, your relationship with the Lord is going to give you life. And better yet, when he's saying she is your life, he's actually pointing ahead to Jesus and the gospel. John 1.7 proclaims, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. My friends, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus died on the cross... He took the darkness of all of our sins that we'll learn about in the dark path. He took it all, past, present, and future, and he put it on his head. And through his death, resurrection, and ascension, he overcame that darkness. He overcame it. And through that, we have access to his eternal life. And we must guard this. We must guard this access. We must guard this truth that's in our hearts. Because it is the most valuable thing that we possess. Amen? So, now we've taken a look at the path of light. We've inspected it, we've analyzed it, we've looked at it closely. Let's go ahead and take a look at the path of darkness. Because like we said earlier, in order to understand what path we're currently on, we need to understand what the path looks like. So here we go, on to verse 14. Verse 14 highlights in the, in, the, in the beginning and pretty much throughout the first step in avoiding darkness, which is avoiding the path of darkness means to abstain from wicked places. So Solomon opens up verse 14 pretty simply. He slaps a good old do not enter sign on it. I'm sure you've seen these, whether it's in an area where there's a vicious dog that could attack or an area where somebody's hunting close by, maybe Tony and Bruce, big hunters. Or maybe it's an area where there's a slippery floor. But the point is, on these signs, often it says, danger, danger. Because it's warning us. It's a warning that harm awaits you right around the corner if you proceed. You see, Solomon is teaching us, he's teaching his son how to recognize these warning signs. He's teaching him how to recognize what evil looks like. He's saying, son, you must separate yourself. Don't even start down that path. And goes on in verse 15 to specifically say, avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. Therefore, Solomon's telling his son, don't even start in the lifestyle, son. I'm telling you, not even for a minute. Don't go there. Don't take that step. He's saying, son, these sick environments, they produce sick people with a sickness that's contagious. I believe it was in one of the Fast and Furious movies. I don't know if you've seen those, but there's a lot of movies like them, so you've probably seen something like it. But there's a bunch of really fast hot rod cars, muscle cars, and they're flying up and down the streets, racing each other. And it's in one of the Fast and Furious movies, I think there's like 25 of them, that I remember distinctly one of the cars just flying down the street, going in and out of things like you would see in a movie, and it's just geared right towards this bridge. And it's just full speed ahead. 
and this thing's flying and flying and flying, and right before the edge of the bridge, it slams on the brakes, and the car hangs over the edge of the bridge, and it's teetering like this. You see, do we live our lives much differently than that? Do we walk to the edge of destruction when it comes to the environments that we're placing ourselves in? Do we walk to the edge of the darkness when it comes to where we go and spend our time? Are we that car? Full speed ahead until right on the edge. Maybe I won't do that. You see, Christians... In John 17, Jesus teaches us that we must be in the world, but not of the world. So we cannot necessarily trap ourselves in a room either. We can't just sit in the room with a Bible, bread, and water all day. But the point is, is that if you struggle with drinking, don't go to the bar. If you struggle with gluttony or overeating, don't walk down that aisle with all the Twinkies. If you struggle with gossip, slander, then stay away from the cafeteria or the break room where all of that is taking place with people murmuring about each other. Go somewhere else and eat. Go somewhere else and pray. Don't participate. He's saying, son, do not toe the line. Do not even pass by it. Completely and avoid and abstain from entering into these wicked places because it's not an if they make you stumble, it's a when and they will make you stumble. The next verse, frankly, breaks my heart. It saddens me because I try to find the best in everybody that I come across. I consider myself a glass half full type of person. But the truth of the matter is, what we see in God's word is that there's evil people. So that brings us to to the next point, which is avoiding the path of darkness means to abstain from wicked people. Verse 16 says, For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. And they're robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. Notice, twice he's stating that these evildoers can be recognized by their inability to sleep unless they're causing someone to stumble or they're sinning themselves. So what conclusions can we draw of this? What what can we say about that? Well, if they're not sleeping, then likely they're awake. And likely they're awake when it's dark. Maybe due to some specific sin or possibly an addiction of sorts that's robbing them of this ability to get rest and sleep, but instead bringing about an evil result. Really, just like 13, like we talked about earlier, verse 13, pointed ahead to Jesus Christ in the, in the gospel. This verse here, verse 16, it points, it points ahead to the restlessness and the eternal damnation that will exist for evildoers in hell. So you've got to get the bad news in order to understand the good news. But one of the most concerning parts and most concerning characteristics about these evildoers is they want to bring someone else down with them. They want to grab and claw at somebody else around them and drag you down with them. Do you know anybody like that? Or have you seen anything like that? 
You see, Psalms 36.1 specifically describes these evildoers. It says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Here's the key part. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out or hated. The word of his mouth, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed, not sleeping. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. You see, these verses here in Psalms, they bring everything full circle, don't they? It shows that these evildoers, what they're lacking, what they don't have, is the fear of the Lord. And that's what Solomon's been working tirelessly, tire, tirelessly throughout Psalms, or excuse me, throughout Proverbs to instill in his son. His son, you must, you must have a fear of the Lord in order to have wisdom, in order to be able to live your life the right way. You must have the fear of the Lord and stay away from these people who don't. Now let's move on to the third strategy that Solomon provides us for avoiding this darkness. Avoiding the path of darkness means to abstain from wicked practices. So here we go, on to verse 17. Let's pull out of God's word what he's telling us. Let's pull it out. Verse 17 says, For they eat the bread of wickedness, and they drink the wine of violence. I wasn't sure what to think about this one. I really like bread. So I did a little research and I, and I took a look at what does wine of violence mean? What does this all mean? And in Amos 2.8, it specifically laid out what wine of violence was. And it said, And they lay themselves down upon the clothes taken in a pledge by every altar. And they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. You see... These men that are being described were wealthy men. They were men who had neighbors who were not wealthy. And what they would do is the neighbor would come to them for a loan. In exchange for that loan, they would take their neighbor's cloak, the only thing that that individual had to cover their body, as collateral. They would then take that cloak and they would lay it down on the altar of that was dedicated to one of their pagan gods, and while their neighbor worked tirelessly all day to pay off that loan, they would take a nap. And then when the neighbor came back, if they were able, if they were able to garner up enough money to be able to pay that loan off, they would give them their cloak back and start the process the same way the next day. These same men, these same men would also Levy unjust fines on their neighbors. They would just find reasons to find them. And then they would take this money that they got from these unjust fines and they would purchase wine with it. Wine of violence. Wine of wickedness. And they would take that wine and in festivities that were put together for their idol gods, they would drink that wine publicly in front of everybody else as if they were famous for being able to purchase this expensive wine. See, the point here is, not if you eat white bread, you're a bad person. And if you eat wheat bread, you're a good person. Because clearly we all know Jesus ate rye bread. <laughs> or unleavened bread. The point is, is that we've got to pay attention to what we're consuming. 
We've got to pay attention to what are we feasting our first fruits on? What are we giving our energies to? John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. And I'm sure you've heard that in this church from pretty much every pastor. But we have the unfortunate ability as humans to make idols of just about anything. Whether it be our cars, our houses, our jobs and careers, our children, our clothes, you name it, we can make an idol of it. We're capable. And what we do is we elevate it above the Word of God. It's a distraction. It's a distraction, a dangerous one, that keeps us from serving the Lord, not with everything that we've earned, but with everything that He's given us. You see, we have to fight the urge. We have to fight that urge to create these idols. Because if we do, if we can put aside the distractions for just a moment, it will allow us an opportunity to have clarity. It will allow us an opportunity to have clarity that's going to help us to recognize what God is calling us to and how we can serve Him effectively. So now we've taken a look at both paths. I would say pretty in depth. The path of light and the path of darkness. But I guess the question looming here is, why? Why does it matter? Maybe I like driving my car to the edge of the bridge. Why should I choose one path over another? Well, Jesus himself, our Savior himself, describes specifically what these two paths look like, just like we went through Probably a little better because it was Jesus. He also described their outcomes. And he actually even told us, he specifically instructed us, this is the path to take. And he does that in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, saying, enter through the narrow gate. There's the path. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many Who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for showing us and telling us which path to take. He's making it very clear. He's letting us know what we're about to see again here in verses 18 to 19. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. What a sharp contrast. One path is like the sun coming up over the horizon. As the sun rises, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter until it's in the middle of the sky at full day, at its brightest point where you cannot get away from its radiance. And then the other path, darkness, where you're in the middle of this thunderstorm and it's dark in the house and you're frantically running around with anxiety trying to find something in this midst of this darkness and stumbling over things. You see, in this situation, in this scenario, though, you don't find a flashlight if you're in that darkness. You don't get access to the candle to see where you're going.
Therefore, there's a very clear reason here. It's very clear in this passage why we need to avoid evil places, why we need to avoid evil people, and why we need to avoid evil practices. The reason to avoid the path of darkness is to avoid earthly stumbling and, more importantly, eternal death. I know that's heavy, but it's the truth. It's the truth in the weight of the Word of God. But Christians, there is a promise in this. There is an encouraging promise. There is a covenant that once we are sealed in the Spirit, like we talked about in the opening, once we are sealed in the Spirit, the Lord will continue to work in our hearts and perform that work. He's going to continue to pull us closer to Him and draw us nearer to Him. And as He does, we get brighter. Until that point, until those key words, which is until full day. Which means until He returns to this earth to greet us. Or until we go to heaven to see Him. What better promise is there? There is none. So in conclusion, the reason to walk in the path of light, the reason that we're seeing in this passage is to not only receive earthly sanctification, but better yet, most importantly, best promise ever, is to get access and to receive eternal life. So, at this point, if we're all being honest with ourselves, if I'm being being honest with myself, we should be thinking introspectively, we should be reflecting right now, and the Lord is flashing things through your mind, through your heart. He's streaming it live to you, as Pastor Tim would say. He's streaming to you live these areas of your life where you are walking on the edge of destruction. He's showing you this. He's saying, fix this. Is there anybody in this room, right, who's 100% pursuing righteousness while 100% avoiding evil? Or is it more like 60-40? You see, when I was preparing this message, the Lord showed me a lot of areas in my life where I was flagrantly walking the line. He showed me a lot of areas where I need His grace. Showed me a lot of areas where I need help. So what I want to do is just share with you some application points, some some items that I'm going to be working on personally here that will maybe help you jog some thoughts in your own mind as to some things that you could work on. The first is, I need to do a better job with hiding the Word of God in my heart. Meaning, I don't do a good good enough job memorizing uh, scriptures. I mean, there's very few that I do have memorized, to be frank. So, I need to do a better job getting in His Word, memorizing His Word, and writing it on my heart. So, one of the things that I'm going to work on is I'm going to try to memorize at least one scripture a month, 12 a year. I think that's something that I can try to work on with my Lord. And I know that if I lean on Him, not myself, He'll help me to do it. The second takeaway for me, the the, the second application point was I want to do better with that discipling method that you saw. I want to do better, not just at discipling others, but being discipled myself. 
Because you, you not only are called to disciple others, but you're called to be a disciple. So I want to do better with actually putting that into practice. Using it on a day-to-day basis. Helping others to learn and learning myself in the process. Because I've got a lot to learn. There's a lot of men in this room and women that I could go to who have a lot more wisdom and knowledge in the Word of God than I do. So I need to take advantage of that. And then the last application point that I want to share with you today is I need to do better and want to do better and will do better at just avoiding evil situations. Like that light flashing over there. (laughs) No, but seriously, I'm I'm sure you can think about and I'm sure your, your mind and your gut tells you some situations that are just wrong that you need to avoid. And mine does the same thing. It's usually pretty clear. You get that you get that flashing light, right? You get that blinking feeling inside you that don't go there, right? One that comes to mind right away for me was not too long ago, and not too distant past, about six months ago, uh, some friends, some buddies of mine were going to a college football game a couple hours away, you know, big D- Division One school, and um, it was just the guys. And at these games, I mean, it's all out, you know. I mean, there's no rules, let's just say. People are having a good time. And I knew for me, I was just going to be setting myself up to stumble. There was no accountability there. So in this situation, I went to my wife. We talked about it. She said, no, don't go. <laughs> Which is a pretty clear sign. Right? That, that, that warning sign, that danger sign. <clears throat> I went to my pastor. He said, Matt, I, I don't think you should go either. So I didn't. I stayed away from it because I knew that it was going to lead me and cause me to stumble. But there's more situations like that. And I don't always make the right choice. So as my third application point, I would like to make better choices. So now that we've gone through those, I'm sure, hopefully, that by now you've been able to identify some areas of your life as well. And I guess what I would ask is, do the only thing that we can do, which is take it, And go to the foot of the cross with it. Because that's the only place that it can be fixed. That's the only place where you're going to get the power to overcome it. Amen?